Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, it's phenomenal. I, I'm telling you, I, when, we, when we got the lease, uh, we, we counter-offered them their, their starting space and uh, didn't know how they were going to respond. And when they responded um, even more generously than I would have imagined, I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't contain my excitement for like 10 minutes. And then I immediately started thinking about everything that would need to happen between now and September 12th to make that possible. Um, our prayers have been answered in large part uh, for finding a space. And now we are prayerful that the kinds of things that have to happen between now and then can happen in short order. So please keep praying. If those of you that have been in part of development or building projects or renovation, even if you've just done your kitchen, you understand. <laughs> Nobody hits their marks. So, but we're thrilled. We'll, we'll, we'll find some way. And like I said in the video, we're, we're going to start meeting in August, even if we can't do it in that building, uh, to start rebuilding our, our momentum. Anyway, we're super excited. I should say welcome to those of you that are joining us online. We really appreciate you being here. Um, I hope anybody that's within the sound of our praise this morning uh, is somehow encouraged, refreshed, met in a unique way by God. We mean that and hope for that from the bottom of our hearts. If you've got questions, please find some way to ask them. Every question is a good question. Um, we want to con continue to uh, get better at communication, um, at coordination, all that. Uh, please uh, be in dialogue with us um, like we've said already. And we'll continue to say, if you're part of the family, please, please give uh, don't allow the summer plans that you have interrupt your faithful giving now, maybe more important than ever. And if you need personal connection encouragement, which we all do, uh, please let us help you find a group of friends that can come alongside you. That's the way we get through it uh, here at Vista. So um, we're looking at Romans chapter 7. And I got to tell you, if you have looked ahead... Paul is, <laughs> this is probably not fair, but he is on the struggle bus in chapter 7, really trying to articulate something that's very, very hard to articulate. He is, he is not only repeating the theme of the entire book, it's, it's not a complicated theme. He is drilling down on something for 16 chapters in the book of Roman, and here near the middle of it, he is really trying to pull some things out that are that are really, really challenging about really what it is to be a Christian. That's what the whole book is about. The whole book is about what is it to be established in Christ? What's a Christian? For me, when someone that I don't know very well asks me if I'm a Christian, I am tempted to say, no, not because I'm not, but because I am supremely confident that they don't know what a Christian is. I'm discovering more and more a lack of understanding of really what a, ba what a basic Christian is. A surprising number of Christians don't know what the essence of Christianity is. So when someone says, are you a Christian?, Yes, but probably not what you think it is. 
Paul is trying to answer this question in this letter throughout, and particularly in Romans chapter 7, exhaustively trying to explain what is really a very simple concept that is challenging to communicate, as you will see, and as you will experience this morning as I go through it, intellectually almost impossible to embrace. We don't understand this very well, but the core essence of Christianity doesn't really compute. Being established in Christ changes a person's nature. We, we tend to have an idea about that. We're changed by Christ and his spirit within us. But the part that's hard is that what is also changed is the effect of God's moral law on the Christian. Our relationship with God's moral law and its effect upon us is changed. This is really difficult to understand, but this is where Paul is going. Let me, let me say this statement and try to tease it out for you. God is, and from him comes his law. It's kind of a weird statement. God is. We normally want to fill that in. God, well, God is what? Well, the reality is it's, it's impossible to capture who God is. And God himself said, I am who I am. Right? I am. That, that was one of his names. I am. No name, just I am. So God is, and from God comes his law. Let me, let me try to illustrate this with... Uh, basic illustration about a magnet. You know what a magnet looks like? You're all shaking your head and you're thinking, they look like all sorts of different things. But I'm thinking about the quintessential, stereotypical horseshoe magnet. It's red with black tips. If I were to say to you that a magnet is a horseshoe that's red with black tips, would I be right? Yeah. But does that capture the essence of a magnet? No. A magnet is, and from the magnet comes the magnet's law. From the magnet comes a force field that all the metal that is within range of the force field aligns to the same polarization of that magnetic field if it's free to do so, right? The magnet is, but the law of the, and from the magnet comes the law of the magnet of which all that is within its purview will align to it if it's free to do so. God is, 
and from God comes the law of God. You with me? I know what you're thinking. That's a good analogy, isn't it? I was pretty happy myself. (laughs) Apart from Christ, God's law is our best understanding of him. Think about the magnet. What gives you the best understanding of the magnet? The magnet, the shape of the magnet, the description of the magnet, or, or the law that comes from it? It's what comes from it. It's this extended law of God. Apart from Christ, God's law is our best understanding of him and of the way of life for all that he or who he or who has been created. Are you with me? It's our best understanding of him and it's our best understanding of how we are best to live. What is best with regard to the magnet and the force field of the magnet for the metal that's near the magnet? To be aligned, to have your polarization that was created in the image of God to be aligned with his polarization, his magnetic field. That is our best life. And it is through that law that we are affirmed or condemned. What happens to the metal that spins and realigns itself within that force field it gets, it, it becomes a part of that, right? Have you ever seen one of those uh, deals where you put all the metal shavings on a piece of paper? Like if, you, if you've been in elementary school ever, you've probably seen this. And you put a magnet and you shake it around. You can start to see that actual force field being shaped by all of the metal filings that are within it. And if it were possible for a metal filing or a piece of metal within that framework to not shift and align with the polarization, what happens to it? You can feel it when you do it yourself. Take a a piece of metal, put it near a magnet, and don't let it shift. You can feel it being what? Rejected, pushed out, condemned. Get out. You're not fitting. Spin and align Free or come in, or if not, it's being, you can feel the pressure out. Same with God. We are either affirmed or condemned by the law. Are you with me? If I could know that you understand what Paul's talking about, I'll just quit and we'll go home. I I am deeply afraid that in my propensity to overthink and over-communicate, that you're going to get it and I'm going to keep talking. (laughs) Turns out, turns out we are only condemned by the law. Turns out we are not affirmed by the law. We are never affirmed by the law. 
When you and I stand with the law of God as a mirror reflecting on our lives and the conditions of our heart, we stand condemned. We are only deceived if we look into God's law, if we understand his law and say, as John said, I am without sin. At the core to my heart, we can always find that we are condemned by the law. It turns out we're only condemned by it. In Christ, though, this is the part that's intellectually difficult to grab onto. In Christ, though, we are no longer condemned by the law. This is the core of Christianity. In Christ, we are no longer condemned by the law. A Christian, if someone would instead say, are you a Christian? Instead of asking me if I'm a Christian, they say, what are you as a Christian? I would see something like this, which would be largely meaningless, but it would be true nonetheless. A Christian is someone no longer subject Okay, hold on to your seats. You are, you are, in one sense, you're going to love this, and then you're just going to totally react to it. Which is why Romans is 16 chapters long and not a paragraph. Because this battle, this understanding, this critical element of Christianity has been nearly impossible for humanity to grasp since the beginning. Let me finish. A Christian is someone no longer subject to the eternal consequences of their moral failings. A Christian is someone no longer subject to the unavoidable disapproval of God through the law. Let that sink in. A Christian is someone no longer subject to the disapproval that is rightly theirs and the eternal consequences of the disobedience and the misalignment with the law, their moral failings. But there's a second half, which is equally, maybe more difficult to grasp. Okay, so hold this in one hand. The Christian is no longer subject to the consequences of their moral failings. You might read that as no longer accountable. <laughs> it's not exactly right, but that, that's, the, that's what it feels like, right? You're no longer going to be held to suffer the consequences of your moral things. But at the same time, you are deeply, internally compelled to live a morally upright life. Your moral failings as a Christian in Christ are not going to result in the eternal consequences that it should. And even though no more consequences are yours in Christ, you still want to align with that force field from the deepest part of your heart. That's what it is to be a Christian. That is what is difficult to grasp because why or how would anyone live in a way 
contrary to their nature when consequences are guaranteed not to come. Right? Are you with me? This does not humanly compute. If there are no consequences, why would I live that way? Does anybody pay taxes? <laughs> what if there were no more consequences for failing to pay your taxes? Every dollar of your taxes. You don't have to pay your taxes anymore. There are no consequences. How many of you would continue to pay your taxes? Some of you would, and some of you wouldn't. What's the difference? If the only reason you're paying your taxes is to avoid the consequences, you're not paying anymore. But if there is something deeply internally motivating you, if there's something within you that says paying the taxes is good and it's right and it's necessary for my country to thrive, you would continue to pay your taxes. Paul is saying this is what Christ does. He releases us from the burden of consequences of law and instead lives within us and compels us to live that way. The end point is the same. Romans 7 Verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? Are you with him? Moral laws, social laws, directives of all sorts no longer apply when you're dead. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, don't steal. Obey civic laws, don't speed, pay your taxes, don't embezzle, don't sleep with anybody other than your spouse. All those laws don't matter when you're dead. <laughs> Except for taxes. I think actually... <laughs> legal moral directives and constraints don't apply to corpses. That's what Paul's saying. And we think, yeah. He gives an illustration. He says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband died, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is now not an adulteress if she marries another man. The law doesn't apply when you're dead. Okay, Paul, so what? So he goes on. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. He's talking to Christians. You have died to the law. What's he saying? He just said it. You are no longer subject to the law. You have died to the law. He's bearing, being very clear, actually, right? 
You are no longer subject to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, right? Use that marriage metaphor. You're saying that husband, that spouse, that wife is dead. You are no longer bound by the laws that were associated with that relationship so that you can marry another who? Him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God, live according to his law and delight him. In Christ, the route to bearing fruit for God, to living for God, it doesn't come about by the old relationship with the law. It comes by a new relationship with Christ. How does that work? The death of Christ marks the death of your former marriage and your relationship with the moral law. In order to have a new marriage and a resulting new relationship with the moral law, in him who was raised from the dead... The death of Christ is the end of our first marriage, the end of our marriage with the law in our natural state, our flesh, and our first relationship to the moral law in order to come alive, that is, to marry Christ, if you will, and have a new relationship with the law in order that we might authentically, from a heart level, live a truly good life approved by God, which is entirely unattainable in the first relationship when it can only condemn you. Are you with me? A Christian is someone no longer subject to the eternal consequences of their moral failings while they are deeply and unalterably compelled to live morally upright. Paul repeats, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. This is the arrangement of the original law, our original state, our original marriage, our original association with the law is death and bad fruit. It leads to selfishness and hurtfulness and bad lives. The sinful passions were aroused by the law. Catch that. If I were to say to you that the edge of this um, iPad stand, I have sharpened it to a razor, razor sharp edge right here. So sharp that you cannot touch it even slightly without it causing you to bleed profusely. Do not come up here after the service and even think about touching that super sharp edge. There is something within every one of us that is going to find their way over to that edge before we get out of here and test it out. Paul's saying that's what the law does. Not only does the law only condemn you, it arouses the sin inside of you. I said this to my sons one million times. I gotta leave the room. Don't go over here. I'm not even telling you the rest of that metaphor. 
they wouldn't have gone over there had I not told them not to go over there. And that's where Paul goes next. By dying to once, what, what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What used to be a fruitless life of threat-motivated rule following is now in Christ a deeply love-motivated pursuit of God and his way. Part of what Paul's doing with Romans is he's answering questions that were likely asked to him as he was preaching in the synagogues by those that were committed to the law. They were asking a lot of questions, if not throwing a lot of stones, literally, and criticizing. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Is that what you're saying, Paul? Are you saying the law is sinful? Paul says, certainly not. Those that are uh, establishing and looking for their affirmation through their behavior and through their execution of the law say, wait a minute, what? Did you just say the law makes me more sinful? Are you saying the law is sinful? And Paul says, well, yes, I am saying it makes you more sinful, but no, I'm not saying the law is sinful. And he reaffirms this in 712. He says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It is our flesh, our old nature, that is both exposed by the law and invigorated by the law. God's moral code exposes my unrecognized sin. In a sense, I'm not even aware of my sinfulness apart from the good, holy, perfect law of God. And once God's way is known, that sin within us, which is exposed, actually goes into overdrive. Paul says, apart from the law, sin was dead. There, there, there is no sin per se if there's no law to show me what is sin. It's, it, it's, it's dead. It's, it's not there. But at once he's saying, I was alive apart from the law. Everything was great until the law came. I have battled this in my mind with some of my unbelieving friends who have a wonderful life. And I have thought to myself, ashamedly so, I share the gospel with them. It's going to ruin their, it's going to ruin them. They're going to suddenly realize stuff they don't know and they don't want to know. Paul says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was, which happens in the heart, right? It's interesting that he picked that one. You shall not covet, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the covenant, the commandment deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death condemned me.
We know this verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Do they deserve it? Yes. Are they condemned? No. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the Son. And then Paul just outlines <laughs> this battle that we all find ourselves in. He says, I find at work in my, uh, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He does. He delights in God's law. The Spirit has changed him and morphed him, and he delights in God's law. Yet there's another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul is saying the only way out of this is to be established in Christ. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ our Lord. God has made it, and Paul has made it evidently clear what is right and good. The law but it is not within us to do it. We cannot do it. How can I get out of this bind if it is not within my power to be affirmed in God's eyes through my obedience to his law. I cannot get there. How do I get to God? Be established in Christ. The renewal that was... Uh, this is... We've used this, these letters for a long time. This is great. Did we get a slide for this? Be before do? Is that in there? See it? These letters, letter B, letter B, number four, letter D, letter O. B, B, four, do. You must be established in Christ, released from the law, affirmed in him, established in him. Then you do. You don't do in order to become established. You become established in Christ. Then you do. B, before do. Christ divorces a person from the spouse of sin and law. Some consider that Adam, the first Adam, the sinful one, and marries you to the spouse of holiness and love, Jesus. The Christian, for the Christian, God's law no longer calls the unholiness and the sinfulness of our life into action because it's dead in Christ. It no longer serves to condemn. What the law now finds in the believer, indwelled by the Spirit of God, is holiness in them. Not yours, Jesus. 
and calls that holiness to life. That's how Paul put it to the church in Galatia. I'm telling you, just read any of Paul's letters. Same, 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 same. Paul's whole life helping people understand how to become established in Christ. Now he's talking to the Galatian church. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now, does that verse make more sense than it ever has before? For the law died, I died to the law. It no longer is my condemner because I live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Apart from Christ, God's law intensifies your sin and condemns you while you're in Christ or in, and while, it, but whatever, in Christ, the law affirms your holiness, right? So do you get this now? It's Jesus within me or, or, or I'm clothed with Jesus. Jesus is perfect and holy and right. And the law looks at that and says, boom, yes, Jesus in you and calls that spirit to live according to the law, not because punishment is coming, but because the spirit of God has changed us on a deep level to want to align with God if we believe Jesus will do it. I have minus four minutes left, so just give me a second here. <laughs> I got to give you this last metaphor. It's not as good as the magnet. Don't get your hopes up. <clears throat> if God is a tennis coach, and tennis is what we are supposed to do, the old coach is a crotchety old man with a rule book that sits on the bench and just keeps saying, wrong, 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 wrong. Play like Federer. Play like Roger Federer, smoother, over the net, inside the lines. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Your foot stepped over the line. Wrong, 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 wrong. I don't even know how to play. You, know, you don't even know how to play tennis and it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. The law, the old man, the one, the one we have hired to be a coach, looking at the rule book. The rule book, is, is the rule book right? It's exactly right. Is he right? He's exactly right. And what you realize is you have no capacity to play tennis like Roger Federer. And then you look over on the next court, and there's Roger Federer. And this is where the metaphor completely breaks down, but go with me. Roger says, hire me as your coach. Come on over here. I will make you a tennis player like me. And you're thinking, do I go over there? And you think, all right. Here we go. I believe you what you're saying. You go over there, and the minute you go over there, some metaphysically crazy, inexplainable thing happens, and suddenly, 
Roger Federer is like all, all around, it's, he, you're in him somehow. <laughs> you, are, you are now clothed with Roger Federer. <laughs> he is around you and he is in you. And you start playing tennis like you did over there. But you can feel, this is, you, you can feel the difference. Like Roger's trying to hit like a, you know, a, a, his shot and, and it, it, your fight, it's fighting inside there. And Roger's like, I got this. And you go, I, I, I know, I, I suck as a tennis player. And Roger says, says who? And you go, that guy. And Roger's like, yeah, I shot that guy as soon as you came over here. <laughs> It's biblical. <laughs> you remember what David did to Goliath? Same thing. Roger did it with a tennis ball. Boom, right off his temple, wham, gone. The only thing that's laying over there is a rule book. And it's good. And it's holy. And Roger says, let me, let me do this. And you're like, I want to do it. I've wanted to play tennis. I, I want to play tennis. And he's like, I know, I'm creating that in you as well. I want to do it. Okay, come with me on this. Ready? Watch this. Whack! And you look at the rule book, and it's like, that is exactly right. Because Roger did it. So what is our life now? Just learning to get along with Roger. <laughs> right? Let Roger do it. Let Roger teach you going to get it right? No. But do you want to? And what did Jesus say? I want your heart. I know you're flailing around, but here's what I love. Your heart. You want it now. Why? Because the spirit lives within you. Yeah, but I suck and, I, and, 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 and I'm wrong. When God looks down at these tennis courts, he sees me. And see you, remember? You're clothed with me. He sees a perfect tennis player. That coach is gone. I killed him. Jesus says, I condemned sin, the old man. I'm the new one. I'm going to quit. <clears throat> Okay, so do you get it? It's going to take a while to process. So get in some, do you, have, do you have groups of people that you get together with and process stuff? I hope so. This takes some processing. What doesn't take a process, and this is my last thing I'm going to tell you, is being established in Christ. That is not a process. Let me explain what I mean. When you say, I believe, you confess with your mouth, right? Well, let me read this passage. I didn't put it in here, but um, I have it right here somewhere. Where's my, where's my, uh, hold on a second. Yeah, right here. <clears throat> For it is with your heart, this is uh, uh, Romans chapter 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved, are saved, not will become saved, are saved. 
You don't become more established in Christ. You become more mature and more in alignment with the spirit that emanates from your establishment in Christ. What is it to be a Christian? What is it to be established in Christ? It is to no longer be condemned by the law because Christ shot the coach. I'm mixing my metaphors if you haven't picked up on that. You are no longer married to that way, that, that, that coach. It's kind of like this, right? If you go back to that magnet and you're holding, you see, you're the magnet. You're the magnet, right? The sin nature is holding you out of alignment with that law. And Christ shoots that sin nature, replaces it with his, and boop, that's what's gone. The sin nature that held you was aroused, was the overdrive with regard to that law. When you believe you are saved, you are released from that condemning sin hold. And now, Christ within you. Even imagine this, right? The law of God as it emanates from God. The spirit of God as it emanates from Jesus is that force field. It is also within us. Just like the metal polarization aligns with the polarization of the magnet, now the spirit of God, which is polarized exactly with God, is in you, and now you are aligned with God. You are no longer condemned. See, if this doesn't get a conversation started when someone says, are you a Christian? You say, I'm not sure what you mean by that, but I am no longer held responsible. I, I, am, I, will no longer be suffer, I will no longer suffer the consequences of my moral failures. See if that doesn't start a conversation. And see if that doesn't intrigue someone. That sounds crazy to say, but I'm telling you, more people would come to the church if that was the first line. You will no longer be held to... Con you, come, you understand what it means to be a Christian and you will no longer be uh, subject to the consequences of your moral failures. People live under the guilt of their moral failures. Everybody on the planet prior pre-Christ, pre, right? Prior to Christ, pre-Christ, suffers the condemnation of the law. They were made in the image of Christ. They were made in the image of God. They were out of alignment with God and their soul knows it and they stand condemned. That's why they don't come to the church because the church unfortunately doesn't have that message forthcoming. The Christian gives a message like, I don't know. To be a Christian means to play excellent tennis. Right? To be a Christian means to be morally right. That's not the core of a Christian. That's the fruit of it. The core of it is not, uh, uh, that's not the message. Come here and you'll be an excellent tennis player. The message is Christ has freed me from the condemnation that my bad tennis deserves. And Christ has deeply changed me into someone who wants to learn excellent tennis. The practical application here, ironically, is to believe. Because what I started to say was, 
Being established in Christ is not a process, it's a fact. When you say yes to Christ, the sin nature is killed, it's dead, it's buried, it is condemned, and now you are free to align with God's law, to align with the spirit of Jesus. It is your new, unalterable core identity. It is a fact. To be established in Christ is to no longer be in fear of suffering the consequences of your moral failures, but it is also to be renewed in your spirit as one who wants to follow the law. That's what it is to be a Christian. You know what we're going to talk about next week? Yeah. Do you say God? Golf, golf. <laughs> no, why not just keep sinning then? This is awesome. Why not just keep sinning? God, we need your help to understand this concept so much. Help us by your spirit to live every day in the forgiveness of Christ in the work of Christ. Help us to recognize quickly, clearly, that we are no longer condemned. We are free to live according to the spirit within us that pleases you. Help us to be a church, God, that has a message that invites people who feel the effects of condemnation to come and experience the grace of God through faith. In Jesus' name, amen.